We, we take inventory of where we are right now, today. We make a decision and then act for the change that we want to see. And then we stay committed to that through to the ending. Technology is transforming how we think, how we lead, and how we win. From InterVision, this is Status Go, the show helping IT leaders move beyond the status quo, master their craft, and propel their IT vision. Greetings. This is your host, Jeff Tun. Throughout the chaos of 2020, we have tried to bring you content that you could use today to help you navigate these uncharted waters we find ourselves in, but also content you can use the lessons from to deal with whatever challenges you may face in the future. In this episode, we're going to examine leadership, proactive leadership to be specific. Our guest is Steve Johns. Steve is the CEO of One Cause. One Cause is a provider of fundraising platforms for nonprofit organizations. Over the last several months, I was able to witness Steve's leadership firsthand. Well, secondhand. In full transparency, my son Brad works in Steve's organization at One Cause. Welcome to the show, Steve. Thanks for inviting me, Jeff. Uh, you're doing great work for the community. Appreciate it. Oh, thank you very much, Steve. I appreciate that. And I really appreciate you taking the time to be with us on the on the program today. I really felt like as I was observing one cause, so to speak, from the distance, uh, some of the decisions you made and some of the steps you took were just um, great examples of, of leadership in chaos, leadership in, in turmoil. So what I'd love to do is, if you don't mind, take us back a little bit. I, I suppose late February, maybe early March. When did the pandemic come on your radar screen? You know, it's so crazy to think about when I when I think about late February, early March of just this year. It it feels like it was five years ago now. <laughs> <It does. laughs> I I remember I was actually vacationing in Grand Cayman during that time and. And we were all wiping down our seats on the plane, but we really had no idea uh, what was actually going to be in store for us in just a couple of weeks. So I was communicating with my team uh, from, from there. And part of our model includes on-site training and support for a fundraising gala. And we also send out iPads for credit card processing. So we were really just focusing on instituting protocols for wiping down iPads and frequent hand washing and frequent use of antibacterial. And, you know, in fact, we weren't even including masks in the process because we really didn't even know um, whether a mask would be effective or not back then. And when I think about it all, it now seems so quaint, but we really had no idea <laughs> what we were uh, about to get ourselves into. And I wanted to set the context in the last week of February. And, and this, by the way, is the you know one of the larger seasons for us. We have a big spring and a big fall season around fundraising events. And so this really happened right in the middle of our uh, the largest part of our, our year. And so for the last week of February, early March, we had powered over 300 fundraising events just that week. Um, we had raised wow. over $50 million for our nonprofit customers, and we were on a roll. And then, you know, that next week, that the 9th through the 13th, it really started to get weird. And if you remember, the dominoes started to fall. NCAA canceled their tournament. And NBA started, they suspended play. Uh, Major League Baseball sent, people, sent the players home from spring training. And, and everything just started to happen. And I, I remember driving from home from the office that night 
I mean, it was like Thursday the 12th. And I remember thinking what it felt like on 9-11 or the, the oh, days yeah. um, after yeah. 9-11. And you're, you're saying, wow, this is big. This is real. This is really happening. Our lives just changed materially. And if I was in a movie right now, there'd be ominous music playing in the background. <laughs> I mean, there, we'll see if we can add that in post-production. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'd say what really impacted us, um, particularly our customers, were all the limitations on, on the numbers of people that could gather. Remember, um, first it was a th no more than a thousand. Then it was like two fifty, then a hundred, and then it was basically okay. Everyone needs to shelter in place. And so what happened is events went to zero. Uh, March fourteenth, we had uh, seventy events or so, all online, all virtual. In-person events went to zero, and that was really what our business was was primarily based upon. And so you think, well, what business do you know that can survive that? Right. Right. You're right. It, it looking back, it did feel somewhat like nine eleven. Because the future is really unknown at that point. No idea how long this is going to last. No idea uh, how to uh, move forward with the organization. So talk us through kind of those decision points, uh, decision steps that you took. You already mentioned kind of that first one about, you know, wiping down the iPads and uh, safety protocols and, and such. But all of a sudden, March 12th, March 13th, it goes to zero. What do you do? <laughs> I know. That's <laughs> a, a great question. I'm glad it was you so, and not me. <laughs> so, so, um, so literally, it, it, was, it was that week when we started to see um, all of these cancellations. And, and we said, okay, so we have to, we have to abs take absolute immediate action. So what did we do? The first thing that we, we did, I would say we went virtual first on March 16th, literally within a couple of days. All of our marketing materials, the customer calls that we were having, the service and support calls, they were all about converting the planned attended events to virtual and online events. It was all hands on deck. We stood up what we called the COVID-19 Fundraising Resource Center. Uh, that quickly became the Virtual Fundraising Resource Center. And that was online fundraising resources. That was for everyone. That wasn't just for our customers. It was for customers and, and non-customers alike. And so... You know, the next big move that we made, and this was on March 23rd, is we met as an exec team. Um, and we were taking a look at the spend that we were that we were allocating in our product and technology world, um, particularly as it related to investment in innovation. And so we made a decision literally on March 23rd to take all of the investment in, in innovation to pursue a new product called the Virtual Event Center. Um, and it's a brand new product that I'm really happy to say that we just announced it's generally available as of yesterday. We launched it yesterday. Congratulations. Um, on thank that. you. Thank you. And what does that do? It's so it in that very short period of time, we built a product that allows a nonprofit now to, to use the virtual event center to do everything that they would normally do in a ballroom at the gala, the live auction, the silent auction, uh, donations, ticket sales, um, uh, donation appeals, all using um, live streaming of video and pre-recorded content. Um, and so it is truly a major shift in what we were doing and pursuing in terms of technology and innovation to not only meet the needs um, that we saw to be immediate, but Jeff, we made a decision then that we believed and we tru truly still believe that virtual was gonna be a permanent change to the fundraising landscape. It wasn't just mm. a blip. And we made that decision in on, on March 23rd. That, that's kind of a big bet, right? I mean, you're betting that it that it's going to become a, a natural part of the fundraising landscape. 
what information, what information sources were you looking at? Where was your team looking at that uh, enabled you to have the confidence to make that bet? So I would say as, as we looked at that, I, I'd say we, we were looking to more, let's call it the macro environment to make those types of decisions. You know, I, I'm not originally from Indiana, but I've, I've been here for, for six years and, and I just looked at it. And what kind of a world are we living in where the NCAA tournament has been canceled? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, good this point. is serious. <laughs> um, and part of it wasn't bad. I mean, we didn't know for sure. But what we did know was that um, we needed to take action and we needed to take action immediately to be able to respond to the needs of our customers. And, you know, in thinking about this, um, there's a really great book that I'd recommend for your listeners. It's called, I hope it's okay to plug. Oh, I, I don't know if you make any money on this, but it's called The Obstacle is the Way. It's uh, by Ryan, Ryan Holiday. And Ryan Holiday has a, has a really great knack for taking wisdom of like the ancient Stoics and, and modernizing it. And so what we really were inspired by is, is this word that's basically, you know, what stands in the way becomes the way. And so the disruption of the pandemic for us became the way to transforming our entire product and really transforming the way that we look at. Um, you said you said we made a bet, and I and I'd say that you're right. Uh, but that bet was something of a hedge into the future. We know that we can handle in-person fundraising. That's what we do every day. But our bet was to position ourselves to not have to rely on in-person fundraising events really truly ever coming back. And so we saw we used the pandemic as the way to accelerate, you know, thousands of new nonprofits, you know, in this digital transformation to virtual and online fundraising as a hedge against what we already knew how to do, which was yeah. in-person fundraising. Well, and correct me if I'm wrong, but a good portion of your revenue stream came from the professional services around live events, not just your SaaS software platform, right? So you're trying to make up for that as well that that's right and so and so part of the part of the reason for coming up with a product as well is to say what we want to do is we want to come up with an easy to use innovative product that doesn't require so much uh, wraparound services um, and so if we're not going back to the ballroom if people are going to be using this product to do virtual fundraising or what we see really as the future is really hybrid fundraising where you're going to have some combination, maybe a smaller on-site event with a larger kind of virtual event, ex extending the audience of that event. Let's make it easy to use. Let's use modern technology so that we reduce the dependence on um, wrapping that software around with any kind of services and, and support and, and mm -hmm. people. And again, from a business perspective, that allows us to be more scalable and that allows us to be more profitable. I, I want to go back to something that you mentioned earlier, Steve, and just really kind of say, say thank you in a way, because uh, I sit on the board of two different nonprofits. Uh, one is a customer of one cause. One sadly is not, but the, the resources that you put together and uh, and opened them up to customers and non-customers were incredibly valuable for both of those nonprofits whose boards I sit on. So, so thank you for that. And I, I think that was a, that was a very cool thing. Interesting thing to do is to open it up to non-customers. What was the reasoning behind that? What, what was the decision process behind that? Yeah. I mean, again, it's, it's somewhat altruistic, but it's also part of being a thought leader in our space and, and opening the doors to potential new business. And, and I'd say that, one of the silver linings to this cloud, and, and there are there are many, and, and those 
you know, who are leading through this pandemic are finding that we're able to accomplish some things within the construct of the pandemic that we probably weren't able to do so um, in the absence of that. And one of them for us is finding just a whole whole group of new, new prospects and customers. Mm-hmm. Our new business pipeline is larger than it's ever been before. The leads that are being driven to our website because of the position that we took as a thought leader um, are greater than ever before. And the other thing that we found is that we're, in, we're now in the midst of what one uh, investor recently called, you know, kind of this once in a lifetime digital transformation. And whether you're doing yeah. e-commerce yeah. or whether you're driving donations to a website, everyone who thought they could do it with paper or, or through some other means is now finding out and realizing this is we, we have to go digital. We have to transform our business. And so yes. so just, Jeff, for, as an example, the webinars, our team stood up 30 webinars Again, as educational, as training, um, this, this is all internal resources. Some 40,000, we were over, oversubscribed to, to the tune of some 40,000 attendees, which for us represented over 8,000 net new names into our pipeline. You know, we've been in business for a decade, over a decade. And so a, a question that we often get is, where, where's your growth coming from? Is there still greenfield opportunity? We've just proven in the, in the course of the last several months, we get... 8,000 net new names. I mean, we have about 4,000 customers that we serve today, and we just identified 8,000 net new names in the last few months. That's a tremendous testament to being that thought leader. And I guess knowing that if you do those types of things, good will come from it. Uh, And it's obvious that that has paid off. And that's generally, you know, the, the approach that we take. I mean, we you know, from a, the driving why of our business is to put day after day the causes of our customers first. And we feel that, that by doing so, uh, to your point, that good will follow that for us as a company. Yeah. Yeah. Now, you made another decision, um, I think somewhere in maybe the April time frame, maybe I, I may have that wrong, but um, you asked your staff to take a reduction in pay, but you did it differently than anybody else I've heard of. And so I would love to to talk through that decision. And if you don't mind sharing the difference uh, that you guys did, that was probably different than most everybody. I, I don't mind. And so it was actually the last week of March. And, and, okay. and just just imagine that the amount of decision making that was being that was happening in <laughs> like a seven day period. <laughs> it was it was really crazy. So, so the last week of March, what we did is we, we all kind of huddled as an executive team and, and really tried to put together a plan. Um, and that plan is how are we going to get through this in, in light of um, all of the changes that are happening in, in, our, in our key markets? And so we, uh, of course, um, we uh, passed austerity measures, including reductions in, in travel and, and, and hiring and discretionary expenses. But from a payroll standpoint, the single largest expense of our company is payroll. And so where do you go to kind of extend your runway or to save expenses? You're going to go to payroll. So rather than just instituting a pay cut or rather than instituting a reduction in force, we made the decision to go to a four-day work week. The four-day work week allowed us to get a 20% across the, the board reduction in our payroll costs but what it also did was is it gave everyone a Friday. 
And it's kind of interesting, you know, as I was thinking about this, work from home and no work Fridays, they were already on our radar <laughs> screen, right? Yeah. But they weren't yeah. They weren't from an austerity standpoint. It was more um, part of a more progressive benefits plan. Yeah. So we had a natural momentum that was moving in that direction. And then, and then it just became compulsory. So I expect it to become a benefit again, you know, yeah. but in the yeah. meantime, we've got amazing firsthand uh, research on what works and what doesn't, because I think sometimes when you don't make that decision or when you, when you don't pull that trigger is you don't know how that's going to impact, you know, how effective are we going to be working from home? How effective would we be if we, if we were able to, you know, to give people no work Fridays during the summer. Um, And so part of it was of course, a measure to, to reduce costs, but also part of it was in recognition that, our teams, you know, and we have 160 people all, all across the country, 100% work from home right now. And, you know, they're dealing with um, issues that are, that are again, I, tr- I was going to try not to use the word unprecedented, but I have to do it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Unprecedented with they're having to be homeschool teachers. They're having to be daycare providers. They're having to be professionals. They're doing all, they're balancing all of these different uh, responsibilities and to, to be free of all of that for Fridays, again, is, is something of, of a benefit um, that we were able to provide. But again, it helped us meet our financial goals as well. Well, and not only do I know my son, Brad, obviously, but I know several other uh, people that, that work for your organization, Steve. And, and I can say, without a doubt, the decision to reduce their pay, but give them a four-day work week was a, an amazing decision from their perspective. A lot of companies could have just said, hey, we're going to reduce your pay 20%. We still expect you to work five days, 40 hours or plus a week, but we know that we're in these uncharted waters and we're going to give you the fifth day off, the Friday off, uh, and ask you to sacrifice in the short term part of your salary. That went a long way for the buy-in of your organization. Well, I, I appreciate that. And I, I did learn some of that later. I, I know that many on my team who saw my quote unquote invitation to an all company Zoom call that day. <laughs> thought, yeah. Oh boy, here it comes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. We, didn't, we didn't have to do that. And, and I received uh, a lot of emails, texts and Slack messages of gratitude after that. So I appreciate that. So let's fast forward a little bit. You're managing the crisis. Your team's now working from home. And then we get to the end of May and the killing of George Floyd. Racial tension grips the nation, including Indianapolis. You now have a second crisis on your hand. Take us through those days and what actions did you take immediately and what actions have you taken since? Yeah, again, as I mentioned about, you know, that evening of March 12th, this was another surreal moment for for me and my family. And and my one cause family, we, we really we watched in sadness those events surrounding the killing of George Floyd. And, you know, as I, I mentioned, we have 160 people all across the country, including several in the Minneapolis St. Paul uh, community um, who were directly impacted. And so we huddled with our sales leadership up in the Twin Cities area. And the first the first um, action that we took was to immediately make our text to give fundraising tool available for free to any organization in that community who was impacted or was serving in the cause of fighting injustice, discrimination, and inequity. So immediately we went to the, um, to the Twin Cities and then, 
as the protests began to spread across the country, we then just said, well, what we need to do is just to expand that to you know, our entire customer base um, as an offering for, for people to, to respond in, in, in a way that let's, let's do what we can do um, is enable nonprofit organizations who are raising money to fight injustice and inequity um, have access to a fundraising tool for free. And I can tell you about one success story that, that came out of that was a, a customer called the Minneapolis Foundation. And they actually had purchased our software just before that. Um, but they were able to use our software, Jeff, and raise over $2 million for Twin City area causes in the wake of the George Floyd tragedy. And those proceeds have gone and are going to help rebuild and reinvest in that local community, over $2 million. That's incredible. Those types of things where you can, uh, I, I know it probably wasn't an easy decision, but in the grand scheme of things, to be able to help a community like that through your platform has got to not only um, advance one cause, so to speak, but again, it's something that the one cause family can get behind. They see what the company is doing and they rally around that. It's so powerful, Jeff. We During our um, all company meeting this, this summer, which was in July, we invited a representative from the Minneapolis Foundation to tell their story. And uh, I'm getting choked up right now. I mean, literally, like we were all in tears. It was, yeah. it was, it's just an amazing story. Yeah, that, that's exactly what I was thinking when you started to say that. Was like, <laughs> oh yeah, you're gonna have uh, uh, what? What was the line from Christmas Vacation? Niagara Falls, right? The, all, all the tears. All the yeah, tears. crazy. So, what other things did you? What other actions did you take, Steve, uh, in response to that? So, on a longer term basis, we announced the formation of One Cause Cares uh, for, for us here at the company. One Cause Cares is our umbrella initiative that's going to tackle all these issues regarding diversity, discrimination, injustice, and inequity. And I wanna say of all types. So whether that's racial, uh, whether that's gender, or just who you choose to love, One Cause Cares is gonna be our organization to take on uh, those, those causes for our company. Another thing that I point to is, um, you know, our stated why, you know, we, we've talked a little bit about why we exist as an organization and what drives us in, in our mission and purpose. But we our stated why is to help make better tomorrows. And as I told uh, the entire team and I wrote them a, a letter and I wrote a letter to our customers that week and then where I said there are no better tomorrows that include discrimination of any kind. And so for us, it's very natural to stand up against discrimination because it's an integral part of the very purpose of why we exist as a company. Yeah. But that being said, we, we all have a lot of work to put in. Uh, yeah, yeah, we do. I'd love to turn our attention a little bit to your customers, those nonprofits. And, and you've touched on a lot of this already, but many of them survive on in-person fundraisers up until uh they weren't able to anymore. And you, you talked about some of the things that you did um, with your product to help the, the customers, but how did you help, how did you personally help your customers adjust to this new normal? What things did you do to help them visualize what this new world would look like? So I would say literally in a matter of a moment, we became this virtual first organization. 
And I call the service and support teams our first responders. And our first responders reached out. We contacted 100% of the customers who had a fundraising planned, a fundraising event planned, I would say in the next, like, let's call it T minus 30 days period. We, mm-hmm. we contacted them immediately. And so we productized what we call virtual event services uh, with a virtual event manager to help our customers fundraise. And I'll just give you an example. So we've actually helped manage fundraising through disasters and crises of more unnatural kind. And so if you can imagine, um, if you're planning to have a fundraiser and you're on the, the Gulf Coast or, or you're on the East Coast and there's a hurricane bearing down on you or there's a flood or you're out in California and there's a wildfire that's, that's impacting the venue that you were planning to have your fundraiser, we have responded to those types of um, disasters immediately already. So we had something, let's call it of a disaster recovery plan, pretty much already in place. So we productized the virtual event services. We assigned a virtual event manager and we got our customers comfortable, not all of them, but comfortable with the idea of saying, let's go virtual, let's go online, or if you feel comfortable waiting, um, let's just reschedule. But here we were, this was the third week of March. We didn't, we were rescheduling events to May because, well, by May, well, it'll surely be fine. Yeah. Yeah. May of what year, Steve? (laughs) And so we keep learning. It's now September. Mm -hmm. Um, And and so, you know, part of it was rescheduling. And now what we're we're doing is helping them reimagine, helping them reimagine that in-person fundraising gala as a, a virtual gala. And, and I think the other thing that's, that's happening in, in you know, a, let's call it in that macro environment is everyone's getting used to the notion of virtual. Everything is virtual. And so I think that that's becoming something of the new normal. Yeah. That being said, what, what I'll say is, and, and, and I heard someone say this today, so I'm not going to claim ownership, but um, I heard someone say this on March 14th, it was the end of the in-person era. On March 14th began the era of virtual events, but virtual events is going to be short-lived to be replaced by hybrid events in, let's call it, you know, Q1 2021, mm-hmm. Q2 2021. And so this notion of virtual um, is what we have today, but the new virtual will, will be hybrid. And, and that's really where we're going to, to and where we're planning to take our virtual event center as well. So, so from a people standpoint, I would say that we, you know, and actually everyone says there's no playbook. And I say this all the time. There's no one who can sit in your boardroom. There's no one who can sit in a meeting and say, based on my 30 years of experience managing companies through pandemics, this is what I would do next. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> but, there, but there is a playbook for disaster response. And, and, you know, it's generally accepted by FEMA and it's response, recovery, mitigation and preparedness. And so we kind of use that as a guide as well. We've, we've moved past re- response um, and we're going to we're in recovery and we're going to be in recovery for a while with our existing customers. But those new customers that I were that I was talking about earlier, they're plan- making plans to mitigate. They're making plans to be prepared that next phase. So they're looking to digital fundraising tools for that next new normal in a way that wasn't happening in a pre-pandemic world. I think that's a, a great strategy to, to use is to fall back on the, the FEMA about preparedness. Uh, we've done a couple of podcasts on disaster recovery, business continuity, unrelated to a pandemic, but a lot of the same principles 
apply. Now, a couple of things I'd love to touch on before we run out of time here, Steve, is sure. what I have watched your organization do is pivot. And in order to make the pivots that you have made, it takes agility. And that's a word that gets thrown around a lot in the in the tech space is whether you're talking specifically about agile as a development software development process or an organization being agile but agility doesn't happen overnight how have you been able to build your organization so that it was agile and allowed it to make these pivots first of all i love the word pivot it it reminds me of playing basketball and let's just say my basketball career ended when I was about eighth grade, but I still, I still love the game. <laughs> it's about when mine ended too. <laughs> so when I think about, when I think about the pivot to virtual first, um, I think about shifting your dribble from your dominant right hand to your left. And it feels a little awkward at first. Uh, but after a while you're, you're as dexterous as with the left as the right. And, and that's really, you know, that's really what we were able to do is we, we were able to dribble from our right and then dribble to the, to our left. And we, Really, the, the organization itself, as I said, from a product and fundraising standpoint, we were already set up to, to really be able to respond to, let's call it a disaster uh, re- response and recovery. The product itself is mobile first. And so the fundraising aspects of our product, you, c- you could today, we, I just said we, re- we just released our virtual event center, which is virtual first, but our existing product that, that people buy every day today um, it can be used in a ballroom or it can be used um, just by clicking a link and, and launching your mobile bidding page at home or on the go or wherever you are. And so I think the other thing that happened for us is our customers began to realize what they had all along was a mobile first fundraising tool that they could just deploy outside of the ballroom. And so we, we were kind of already set up for that. Then what I'll say from an organization standpoint is we were all, we had already taken our existing entire business and run it on the cloud. So we were all able to ba- basically pe- pick up our, our laptops and leave um, oh, yeah. without, without missing a beat. And if you think about kind of companies of old, you had these server room and where your whole business ran on these servers that when, when they went down, your business went down. But we had, we had put our whole business on the cloud. So from a customer standpoint, from a product standpoint, and from a business continuity and operations standpoint, we were essentially ready to go. I, I laugh because um, I, I sent out a note to everyone on the 13th of March. We sent everybody home on, on March 16th. And I remember saying, you know, we're going to stay at home for about a week or so um, <laughs> just until this thing clear, clears up. And I, and I thought about that. And it's laughable now. It's like um, the three-hour tour that the Gilligan's yeah, Island yeah. crew went on. <laughs> That's right. That's right. We went on a three-hour tour. And in fact, Jeff, uh, in May, um, we made the decision to, to not renew our corporate headquarters lease. We had 25,000 square feet where about 120 people called home uh, as, for an office. We began to imagine what that uh, workplace of the future was going to be with uh, with PPE and, and everybody walking, you know, kind of counterclockwise in a single direction and yep. uh, social distancing in the, the conference rooms. And so we basically said, that's not worth the amount of money that we're spending on a monthly lease. Let's reinvest the amount of money that we're spending on a monthly lease in, in payroll, in other costs of the organization, in cash runway. Um, and so in May, that was a fairly 
gutsy decision, I'll say. Yeah. But right now, now it's basically, Steve, of course, that's what you should do. That's what, <laughs> that's what everybody's doing. But I have to tell you, in May, it was a pretty rough, it was a pretty rough decision. But, but oh, we know. made it and, and I'm not looking back. I think this, uh, the ability to be agile, the ability to be pivot is to pivot is, is kind of like the, uh, the overnight success in the, in the record business or the movie business, that's really been working at it for 10 or 12 years to get to that point. Right. It doesn't happen really overnight. To, to exactly. Yeah. We were a 10 year overnight success. Yeah. There you go. There you go. <laughs> so Steve, early on, you made a commitment to your, team. Uh, and you also showed incredible leadership in the face of crisis and chaos. Can you speak to that commitment and what results you have seen from that? Yes. As, as we, as we discussed, um, we asked the team to make, to take some pretty significant cuts in pay. And I felt the need to provide a commitment back for that. Mm-hmm. And my commitment back to them was regular transparency. And so on March 26th, um, I committed to a weekly update, and that weekly update includes uh, key financial metrics so that everyone can track our path back. And so uh, I am very, I'm, I'm very um, pleased to say that I write a weekly update that generally starts with some sort of lesson about leadership or dealing with stress or, you know, or things aren't fair or something, something like that, um, but together with operating metrics and customer fundraising success stories. And I, I just have to say the results have been so humbling to me. I get weekly emails and texts back from people um, and different people every week, it seems, thanking me for staying true to my word, thanking me for taking the time to do this because I, you know, everyone knows that and understands that it does take time and it provides them weekly inspiration and hope. And I've been told by some that they look forward to them each week and, and you know, that keeps me going because I have to admit there have been times where I'm about uh, it's about Wednesday and I'm thinking, oh, where's my inspiration for this week going to come? <laughs> yeah, maybe yeah. I'll just skip this week and everyone will forgive me. But um, so far, I've been able to, to, to stay disciplined to that. And I know that it's making a difference because people are telling me that it's making a difference. So um, I'm going to keep doing it. I think that's fantastic. I think that's one of the one of the strong lessons that we can all take out of this is uh, being visible, being transparent and offering words of wisdom to help people through this, uh, through whatever the crisis is. So Steve on status go, we love to leave our listeners with a really strong call to action. So what are one or two things our listeners should do tomorrow because they listen to our conversation today? Love, love that, by the way. So I had a quote earlier, and then I'm going to pull out another quote for, for that. And this one is from C.S. Lewis, and I, it's, it's a quote that I just shared with my company last week in my weekly update. And I was so moved by it that, I, that I, I'd love to have the, the opportunity to give this to your listeners. Yeah. And, and the quote goes something like, you can't go back and change the beginning, but you can start where you are and change the ending. And I think that's so powerful. And what I communicated mm-hmm. to my team was, if we think like this, we don't dwell on the past. We don't lay blame or saying fault or engage in self-pity. We, we take inventory of where we are right now, today. We make a decision and then act for the change that we want to see. And then we stay committed to that through to the ending. Um, and I think that that can be applied to everything that we talked about today. And I, I also loved, I loved how you presented this as like the chaos of 2020. 
Um, and specific to that, what I would say is, you know, culture first and then five things. And you just said two of them. Be honest, be open and transparent, over communicate, do what you say you're going to do and be relentless and see it through to the end. You know, in my view, um, everyone at the company knows when I whenever I say, hey, that was a really great thing that we just did. I always follow it. But we have so much we have so much work to do. And so I would say seeing this through to the end, I would say we're maybe in the third inning um, and we have a lot more to do. That is that is fantastic advice for our listeners, no matter where they are uh, in their organization, they can take those steps and, and take those things to heart. Steve, I really want to thank you for taking your time to be with us today. I mean this when I say you've shown incredible leadership through 2020, and it has been fantastic to be able to sit down and chat with you today. So thank you very much. Thank you, Jeff. My pleasure. To our listeners, if you have a question or want to learn more, go to intervision.com. The show notes will provide links and contact information. This is Jeff Tun for Steve Johns. Thank you very much for listening. You've been listening to the Status Go podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes or get more information at intervision.com. If you'd like to contribute to the conversation, find InterVision on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter. Thank you for listening. Until next time.